Hello there, Saber Talk listeners, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. I'm Mark Ice, your host, and we're going to be talking about the Sabres' 3-2 loss in overtime to the Canadiens, and this is a fairly exciting game. Uh, it was back and forth. There was a lot of physicality, I think, um, and, I, and I'll talk about this more, but I think the officiating slowed the game down to the point where it was more boring than it otherwise should have been because of all the physicality. Uh, but it was it, it was fun to watch, and I think it's it's nice to see the Sabres developing some rivalries and hatred toward divisional teams. I think it's good for the game, good for fans, uh, good to just keep people engaged overall, especially over an 82-game regular season and how long that can be and, and grueling, not just for the players because obviously it's grueling for them, but for the fans as well, and it's it's tough for a lot of people to not lose interest in the middle of the season. And moving forward, I think there's going to be more excitement because of the possibility of making the playoffs and maybe making a run in the playoffs. But especially right now at this point in the season for the Sabres, where last year there was some excitement about the tank uh, and you know the, the possibility of getting Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. This year there's not that same kind of excitement, the reverse excitement, toward losing and toward getting a high draft pick. And I think a lot of fans at this point might just be tuning out and waiting for the offseason. But to have these kind of games where you start to see the team come together and you start to see these rivalries form, which you know they're going to form, it's it's fun to watch. So tonight, Bogosian and Foligno had the two goals for the Sabres. Um, and both of them were very engaged physically. The, the team really as a whole was was engaged physically, and there was a lot of after the whistle scrums, and you know guys dropping gloves, and Robin Leonard got into it a little bit, and uh, I think that's going to be the Sabers' model moving forward, assuming that they keep this forward core together. But if you look at if you look at the the type of wingers that they've gone after, that they're that they're building around. Uh, not to say that Marcus Foligno is a guy they're necessarily necessarily building around, but I think that he's a he's a real Murray type of winger. And Kane, obviously, with how Murray's raved about him, he he loves that that type of winger that's going to impose his will physically and uh, going to get in on the forecheck, hit people, willing to fight, all of that. And I think you have somebody coming up in Hudson Fashing who's going to fit that mold. Delorier is another guy that that Murray traded for that brings that to the table. Though he doesn't bring the skill that those other three guys can can bring, but I think you're going to see more of this, not less, moving forward. And especially if they add another bruising defenseman, because I think really beyond Bogosian, you don't have a guy that that brings that type of physicality consistently. And I think that they will be looking for somebody that that can do that moving forward here. Um, in this game, something that stood out, the officiating was very questionable. And I think you would, if you talk to Habs fans, they would probably say the same thing that they thought it was officiating, that they thought that it was questionable from their end as well. Uh, one thing I see a lot of them questioning is the Bogosian goal call, but I thought that was extremely close. And I agree with the call on the ice that the that the video evidence was inconclusive to overturn the call that had already been made. And the call was that it was a good goal with Bogosian hitting it out of the air. If you look at it, it was the last replay that the Buffalo broadcast showed where 
the puck hits pretty far down the shaft down the shaft from the blade you know it's a good six inches at least maybe a foot away from the blade where he actually connects with the puck so when you see him swinging his stick in the air you think he's probably going to hit it with the blade of his stick that would have been a clear high stick but where he hit it it looked right about level with the goal post so i don't think there was enough there's enough there to overturn that call not that i would have been shocked if they if they did overturn the call not that right now i would be complaining about it like crazy but I think if I was in those those referees position I would have made the same call uh, my problem with the officiating tonight was really just the the inconsistency and there did, a lot of times there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to why certain things were called one way and others were called another way and they handed out a lot of misconducts, which I think they were trying to do that to, to take control of the game. But as they were handing out these misconducts, they were also giving out random extra penalties where a certain team would get a power play, even though if you watch the scrum, it doesn't make sense why that team came out of it with a power play. Um, and I think just overall it slowed the game down to a snail's pace. And there was also a, uh, an issue with the boards that slowed the game down as well. It just felt like a very slow game. It took... a that just took a while and without all the physicality and the scrums I think you would have seen a lot more fans calling this one of the more boring games of the year but I think with all that involved it it kept people engaged and kept people interested in in the final outcome and it helped that it was a close game too that it wasn't it wasn't one team really imposing its will on the other as to particular lines particular uh, players that I that I liked didn't like tonight. I I liked the third line again, and Felino he chipped in with a shorthanded goal. I know that that's not directly related to his to the third line's performance because of a shorthanded goal. It was a great pass by by David Legwand, but I thought Felino was just engaged all night, and you know him coming out and and being able to to score a goal. It was a good way to cap off his night, which I thought at even strength he he played quite well and. And he was, like I said before, he was consistently physical and had a, had some chances, and I just really liked his game tonight. Larson, again, I thought he was he was himself. He was his usual pesky uh, puck hound self. And I thought Gianta did his job as well. He, he had a few chances, and I'd still like to see him finish more. It seems like he gets gifted a lot of, of high-quality chances and can't quite for whatever reason, can't quite finish the job. But I thought he had a good game too, and and he's he's fitting really well with those other two guys as, as they've grown into pretty valuable players. The Eichel line, I thought they were fairly quiet for a lot of the night, but they became more dangerous as the game went on. And I thought Gergen, I, I'd said this before the game, but Gergen is a good fit style-wise on that line. He's a good fit next to Eichel. I think he... Because he can bring a little bit of everything to the table, and he's got some offensive skill. Uh, he's got a more advanced defensive game, you know, than 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 Eichel has, having been in the league for a couple years. So I would love to see this line work work out moving forward. To have three of the more hyped prospects the Sabers have had in a long time, you know, Gergensen's before they got Reinhardt and and Eichel. He was the, the golden boy, I think. And he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit now that you have those guys here and that O'Reilly came in, Kane was brought in. All, you know, all these other guys have, 
have come into the organization, but Gergensen's was among the more hyped prospects in a long time by a lot of fans. So to have that line be able to develop together and be able to grow into something, it would be it would be pretty cool to see. You've got three guys under the age of 22. I would I would be completely in favor of that, assuming that Kane's able to find another spot in the lineup, and I'm assuming his spot in the lineup would be next to O'Reilly. Maybe they can find another winger on that line. Uh, now to talk about O'Reilly, I thought he played pretty well in his return. You know, wasn't a hundred percent himself, but that's to be expected. And it was just great to have him back. And he he played quite a few minutes. He played, uh, I think, it ended up being about twenty-two minutes. I thought his line wasn't too dangerous, but I can also think of a couple occasions where a more dangerous offensive winger than Delorier may have converted a particular chance into a goal. So we would probably be talking much different about that O'Reilly line had they had they produced a goal. And I think if you had replaced Delorier with a capable top six forward, that, that may have happened. Uh, Kane, he, he took a couple bad penalties, but I think this type of player is what they need him to be. And he needs to be let loose, needs to be allowed to get under opponent's skin, and that's going to result in games like this. It's going to inevitably result in penalties here and there, and it's going to result in him having nights where those that have an, have an agenda against him can point out that he that he takes too many bad penalties. But I think that he's going to be a great running mate, and he already is for some of our less physically assertive stars up front. And if you look at Eichel, Reinhardt, O'Reilly, those guys aren't they're not going to be imposing their will physically. They're they're going to be able to handle themselves, I think, and I think they've shown that throughout this year. But at the same time, they're not going to be somebody that can stand up to uh, uh, a really physical third line that's that's going to try to intimidate them throughout the course of a night. And I think Kane can be a perfect guy there that has the skill to produce next to one of them, but it, but also can can defend them. And I think that's his that's his role moving forward. One of the reasons why Murray loved him so much and made it made such an effort to go out and acquire him. I liked uh, I liked Bogosian a lot tonight. Just I'll continue conceptually. You're always going to relate Kane and Bogosian because they came over here together in the same transaction, and he was aggressive offensively. Played a very physical. Played a very physical game, and I think that that's the Bogosian that Tim Murray traded for, and that we saw last year down the stretch because he played quite well last year down the stretch, and had a lot of people very excited for him coming into this year. You know, can he be that top pairing guy moving forward? And I think a lot of people would have said yes if you asked him in the off season. But with how he's played so far this year, I think you'd be much harder pressed to see people confident that he would be say, a number two defenseman moving forward. They may be more likely to say he's a three or a four, or maybe that he's not even in the team's future plans. This is the Bogosian that this franchise needs him to be for this defense to improve substantially next year and to continue to improve moving forward. But the type of financial investment that they have in him and with the young guys that they're counting on to get better, Bogosian needs to be a rock. And I think being able to bring that combination of physical play on the back end and being able to to be aggressive and assertive in the offensive zone and get shots on net and everything that's the skill set that he can bring to the table that's why he was a high pick of the thrashers that's why murray wanted to bring him in but we just haven't seen that all come together that much this year so maybe these last 10 games 
I know it's, it's what, 11 more or 12 more. Um, maybe in this last stretch he can he can actually show what he showed in that post in those post deadline games last year and what he's shown in flashes this year. I thought McCabe on that pairing, I thought he had another nice game. He was decisive in the offensive zone and despite tipping in the first goal against, which was a bad move, should he should have been out of the way. Uh, but beyond that, I thought he had a really nice game in the defensive zone overall. He ended up playing nearly 25 minutes tonight, so goes to show you Bilesma, Bilesma believed the same thing. He's been leaned on much more recently, and I think rightfully so, because he's he's really picked up his play and he's been he's been dependable. Ristolainen, I thought he had one of his better defensive games in a while. He was physical, assertive, uh, very calm, and he ended up playing, I think, over 27 minutes tonight, which isn't out of the ordinary for him, of course. He's played a ton of minutes this year. But I thought I, I thought he had a nice game. I came out impressed with him, and I had been I've been critical of him recently for his defensive positioning and for some of his de- his decisions with the puck in the defensive zone. But I thought that that part of his game was was very smooth tonight. Uh, Pesic, I thought he had another good game as well, and I thought I liked when he and McCabe were together when Bogosian took that penalty and. They were a quality pairing earlier this year, and I think they could be a possible unit still moving forward. I think they complement each other pretty well. I talked about in the last podcast how I think Pesic is one of those glue guys defensively where he can really play with just about anyone and and complement them well. Just having a, a safe, smooth, steady defenseman like that can really complement any other style. Um, so maybe that could be a unit moving forward. We'll see. I still don't know how this is going to shake out. It's tough having three of your three of your top four guys being because I, I, I wouldn't put Georges in that top four. I think the top four defense on this team are Ristolainen, Bogosian, Pesic, and McCabe, not necessarily in that order. Um, three of them being righties, none of them being super comfortable playing on the left side. It's a tough position to be in um, when you're trying to think about what are the future pairings, but um, I think bringing in another lefty, it's going to give them more flexibility, and they very well may end up just keeping all those righties down the right side. And uh, It'll be interesting to see, though, because I think there's still more moves to come, and, and we can't really be sure. So it's all speculation on my part when I talk about is, you know, is so-and-so going to be a good future partner for so-and-so because we don't know who else is going to be here who they're going to take in the draft this year. They could take a defenseman with their with their first-round pick. They could make a big trade, big free agent signing. So we'll see. Um, in this game, I can't really place much blame on, on Leonard because all three of the goals against, they were tipped in by Buffalo players, and he wasn't beaten cleanly on any of the goals. I thought he had a pretty good game. It, was, it seemed to be more bad luck that he gave up three goals on, on that number of shots. Uh... And that's going to happen sometimes, especially in a league where scoring is so dependent on, on garbage goals. I think you're going to have some, some games like that, and I, I don't think this was a poor performance from him or anything that we should be that we should, we should be concerned about or, or placing any sort of blame on him. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some league-wide news and how it, how it affects the Sabres, but there were some, there was some news about the expansion draft. So at the GM meetings, the NHL presented various expansion draft scenarios 
for a likely expansion draft in the 2017 offseason. So not this upcoming offseason, but the next one. So after next season. And it looks like from what they're talking about that the protection rules are going to be more restrictive than they were in the past few expansion drafts, which came in 98, 99, and 2000. That was when Nashville came into the league and Atlanta came into the league and then Columbus and Minnesota came in together. Those are those three seasons. They had expansion drafts in each of those three years. And I think what the league's trying to do, they're trying to avoid, in those expansion drafts, the team's got very little in terms of long-term pieces or, or valuable assets. And I went back and looked at, at the expansion draft results. I, I've always been intrigued about, or been intrigued by expansion drafts, and I remember I was a pretty young kid at that point, but I loved it. Just thought of who are you going to protect and a team getting all these new players coming together from all these other different teams. And I just thought it was really cool. So I followed it a lot back then, and I actually have done a project, or I had been updating for a couple years I had uh, just a spreadsheet where I would update what an expansion team would look like if it was able to pick from using the rules of those past drafts. If I I would try to make the decisions for each one of the 30 existing teams of who they would protect and then who would be left unprotected and who the new team would get. I just thought it was, for whatever reason, that, that intrigues me uh, mentally. I and I don't really know why. But now, with more news coming out about this, it's going to intrigue me even more, and I may even get that spreadsheet going again uh, and update it again. I was thinking about maybe even starting a website where could have what my projected expansion draft, expansion team rosters would look like based on the rules as they come out and continually update it as, rosters, as roster moves are made and as teams make trades and sign free agents and everything leading up to, to next offseason, to the 2017 offseason. But I'm, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to do that yet. Uh, I don't know if I really have the, have the time to do it, to be honest. But if you look at what those teams came out of those expansion drafts with, there was very little. Nashville came out. They they ended up with uh, with Vokun, who was, who was their goalie for a long time and had a nice rest of his career there in, there in Nashville. But beyond that, they got they got very little. Uh, Minnesota, they had uh, Philip Kuba, who ended up being a mainstay there for a little while, but they got very little beyond him. Columbus got a, f- a few valuable players: uh, Dwayne Rollison, Jeff Sanderson, Steve Hines. But none of those guys were were had you know had more than. Maybe if you traded for them, they might have been worth a, a second round pick or, or something like that at that at that point in time, or maybe you know a second and third or at the most. But they didn't really get any any high value assets, and as a result, those teams tended to struggle a lot early on. And you think expansion teams are probably going to struggle no matter what. But I think what the league's trying to do is trying to give them trying to give them a better core to start out with. And I think they are possibly risking going too far in the other direction where the expansion teams may be at a, at a huge advantage where they're able to pick from quite a few very valuable assets. But we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they, they try to find that, that Goldilocks just right in the middle type of spot. So per the reports, teams would have two options of who to protect. So either protect seven forwards three defensemen and one goaltender or to protect eight skaters regardless of position and one goaltender. Uh, 
first and second year pros would be exempt from the expansion draft, and pros would be any professional North American league. So for prospects that have played in the AHL for, you know, say 2016-2017 is their third season in the AHL, they would be they would be part of the expansion draft process. They would not be exempt. Um, but anybody that's been in, been a North American pro for one or two years would be exempt. Um, also, there were no options for teams that would wish to consider protecting two goalies. So if you have two goalies that are not first and second year professionals, you will have to leave one of them unprotected barring you know barring a trade or a, a deal with with one or both of the expansion teams to not to not pick that to not pick that player. The league is still unsure how it's going to handle players with no movement clauses in an expansion draft. The speculation is that uh, they will have to be protected, but I'm not sure how that's going to work with pending unrestricted free agents because they would still be the property of the team and they would still be part of this expansion draft process. You know, back in 98, 99, and 2000, pending unrestricted free agents were picked in those expansion drafts because it was done before the end of the league year. It was done, you know, free agency starts July 1st. It was done sometime in June uh, prior to the to the entry draft. And so those, those free agents are still property of the teams that they played for the previous year. They're still under contract there, and they're eligible for the draft, and they're they fulfill the requirements. If there are experience requirements, you know, you must leave one forward unprotected that played at least 40 games for you in the prior season or whatever, you know, whatever the restrictions may be. I think they're going to be different than they were in those previous expansion drafts. But um, those pending unrestricted free agents are still going to count uh, count as, as part of the expansion draft. And there are going to be pending unrestricted free agents that have no movement clauses. And if you look at somebody on the Sabres, Brian Gianta is a good example of this. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent after next season, and he has a no movement clause. So if you force teams to protect them, how are you going to handle pending unrestricted free agents? Are you going to force teams to now need to protect a pending unrestricted free agent and leave a player that you have under contract Something that obviously you would think you would value a player that you that you have under contract moving forward to fulfill those rules. I don't know how that's that's going to work, and maybe they could say players with no movement clauses with contracts running beyond this year need to be uh, need to be protected. Those with contracts not running beyond this year do not need to be protected. Could be a rule like that, but I don't know. They haven't really said much either way, and it's been speculation. So now, how does this affect Buffalo? So, assuming that it would be in the 2017 offseason, Eichel and Reinhardt would be exempt because they would both be second-year pros as of that expansion draft. Also, Olmark, Justin Bailey, Nick Baptiste, any of the notable prospects the Sabres currently have in their minor league system or will sign before them, sign before them will also be exempt. Um, so among the players currently on the roster, and obviously this is going to change, and we can talk more about this as, as more rules come out and as they make changes this offseason and things start to kind of solidify. But right now, assuming they were to do the seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie kind of alignment, they would be able to protect O'Reilly, Kane, Gergensens, Larson, Felino, Ennis, and Delorier. That would be seven uh, and then on defense, 
Ristolainen, no-brainer, and then Pesic and McCabe. And you'd be leaving, if you protect those three, you'd be leaving Zach Bogosian unprotected. Um, the one goalie would be Leonard. Uh, you know, Olmark is exempt. And there's nobody else that would be in that conversation. So notable overall left protected. Bogosian would be the most valuable player. They'd be leaving unprotected right now with the current stable players they have. Also, Josh Georges would be left unprotected. And Matt Molson. And the Sabres would love for an expansion team to take Matt Molson off of their hands. But then the issue, another issue becomes, because Molson does have a no-movement clause, well, he has a no-trade clause, uh, a restricted no-trade clause. Um, he doesn't have the no-movement clause that that um, you know somebody like Gianta has. But it's gonna be interesting to see how how that all how those rules all bear themselves out. Because I think there are more there are more complexities now than there were in 2000 in the last expansion draft. Uh, it'll be exciting though. I mean, it'll be cool to see new teams come into the league. I I don't know if it's the right decision or not, but. Um, Anything where there are a lot of roster moves is is fun to me, is is fun to follow. So the Sabres' next game, it's going to be Friday night at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time versus the Ottawa Senators. And as for the Senators, it looks like they're going to be on the outside looking in when it's all said and done. They're, you know, they're a couple games back of, of Detroit and Philly. They would have to jump both of them to get back into the playoff to get back into playoff position. There's not a ton of time left. It's not impossible. If they go on a run, they could make it. But uh, it it would take a, a really, really nice stretch of games here uh, in the rest of their season. Sabres and Senators, they have a 1-1-1 one, one, one season series between the two teams. Well, the Sabres are 1-1-1 the Sabres are one, one, and one versus the Senators. The Senators are 2-1 versus the Sabres because the Senators have two wins. The Sabres lost one of those games in a in a shootout. Uh, there's a com- uh, combined goals scored. The Senators have scored seven, and that includes a goal that represents that win in the shootout that they had, and five for the Sabres. So it's been a low scoring season series. You know, combined eleven actual goals in in three games for two teams. Uh, as a result, it's not surprising both of the goaltenders have played. Have played well in this in this season series. So Leonard, he started all three games, but he got hurt in the season opener. Uh, so Chad Johnson played the rest of that game, which the Sabers ended up losing. But in his last two games versus the Senators, Leonard's played quite well. Played quite well against his old team, trying to show them that they made a mistake. And Craig Anderson, he's done well in all three of his starts versus the Sabers this year, and he's got over a 940 save percentage. And I'd expect for for them to go against each other in this game. So I'd expect the Senators to go with Anderson and for Leonard to get the call for the Sabres again. Uh, as for the Senators and the kind of the state of their organization, Carlson, he's put up an incredible season. 60 assists, 73 points, over a point per game. And it's just extremely impressive with how low scoring this season has been. It, it, it's been a low scoring era, but this has been an extremely low scoring season. And... Good for him, and I think he should be right in that Norris conversation. I said this in my podcast the last time the Sabres played played the Senators. He deserves to be in that in that conversation, and uh, he very well could have my vote. Despite their team not being great, uh, I think what he's been able to do, considering the defensive core around him, and 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 just really 
they're not a great offensive team, and for him to for him to do what he's done has has been pretty pretty amazing. The Senators they've got their horses up front. Uh, they've got some, uh, you know, Mark Stone, Bobby Ryan, um, Hoffman, Zabanajad, Kyle Turris, but they still do lack a true first line center. And I think it's becoming more and more obvious you need that type of guy to win in this league consistently. They also lack much of anything of note beyond Carlson, Dianfanov, and Cody Cece on defense. And I think they're one of these teams in purgatory where they, you know, they may squeak into the playoffs every now and then, but they're always going to kind of be in that in that middle of the pack area and not be able to have a high enough pick to get one of those stud centers and not have the type of lineup to be able to, to go deep into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how long they they hang out in that in that purgatory and do they try to blow it up and and maybe tank a little bit, you know, and tank meaning not intentionally lose, but kind of flush out the vets, try to try to bring in picks, young pieces and and build from there. They still do have a a, a lot of young guys on that team. So I think if they if they wait it out and they see where where are these young guys in in two seasons? It's very possible they could they could develop into a, into a pretty decent playoff team, but at the same time, I don't know if any center on this roster can become that type of that type of horse that you need now to to really be a Stanley Cup contender. And also, they don't have a ton of money to spend, so that's an issue. And something where the the Sabers and Leafs are pretty lucky in terms of these rebuilding teams. First of all, they can stomach the kind of financial losses that you may need to take while your team is terrible. Um, you know, the Leafs having having that that type of fan base where they're they're never going to be wanting for for people to come to their games. And the Sabres to have to have Terry Pagula, who's one of the richest owners in pro sports. The Senators don't have that luxury, so that may play into their decision as as to tank or to try to make the playoffs and that can be the difference between them making money and not making money in a season and, and for them that's a very important consideration that the Sabres now don't have to worry about but if you think about back when the Sabres were under Tom Galasano and where they were they were run really as a business trying to try to make money which I respect but those types of considerations then come come into come into play where you know the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs can be the difference between running in running in the red and running in the black. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and obviously it's important for Buffalo fans because they're in this division really the what happens to other teams in this division is going to impact the Sabres playoff chances, the Sabres the Sabres chances to, to make it deep into the playoffs. So I'm not rooting for them to I'm not rooting for the Senators to, to come out of this because I, I'm always going to have a, a dislike for them overall, but uh, just trying to give my my honest perspective of, of what I would do if, if I was in their position. There's not really a right answer. I think what they're ultimately going to do is try to wait this out and you know maybe try to, they're going to miss the playoffs this year, try to try to draft another young, talented player. Maybe they could luck out and, and get one of the spots in the lottery, but their their chances of doing that will be will be very low. And try to go next year and hope your young guys take another step, and you know try to squeak into the playoffs again. I think that's going to be what ends up happening because of the way that they're run. But I don't I don't think that you're ever going to see them be a Stanley Cup contender again if they keep operating that way. 
So it should be a fun game. Always, it's great being in the middle of all these all these divisional games. So enjoy the rest of your week, and I will hopefully have a podcast out soon after that game. Hey, thank you.